If you would open your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 is where we're going, and I'm going to begin reading with the first verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, as we celebrate uh, Eastern Star turning 100 years old uh, this year. That's amazing to me. That's really miraculous. And it shows the favor of God and the sacrifice and service of the people of God. And we have guests coming all, all year to preach and teach and minister and serve. And I've told all of them to, as they come, to celebrate the universal church. When Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. That's the universal church. That's all of us in the body of Christ. And I told them to also celebrate the early church, the first church that we're going to address today in Acts chapter 2. But also we want to celebrate the black church and what it has meant to us in terms of freedom from slavery and helping us to deal with discrimination and the rise above Jim Crow laws and Jane Crow laws and to help us through the civil rights movement and to get us to where we are right now, celebrate the black church. And then, of course, we're going to celebrate the Eastern Star Church for those who paved the way for us and those who are still here who've made sacrifices and, of course, for who God is going to use to take us to where he would have for us to be. So as we celebrate this hundred years, I want us to look in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set up on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. I want to preach about the church at its best. The church at its best. I'll never forget the conversation I had with Bishop T. Garrett Benjamin, who uh, used to pastor the Light of the World Christian Church in Indianapolis when I first got to town, and I was trying to figure out what pastoring was all about. He was one of the pastors I would look to for direction and help. And he said one of the challenges that we have as pastors and as Christian leaders in the local church, he says that our members look at Christian television. This is before the Internet and streaming. He said they look at television, and when they look at television, what they see on television they think needs to be duplicated in our church. So they, he said, if they see it on TV, they think this must be what real church is all about, and then expect to see that within our ministries, even without addressing what context are they in, what neighborhood, what part of the country are they in, are they suburban, are they rural, are they inner city? What's the vision of that house? What's the mission that God has? We ignore all of that. Just whatever we see on TV, the bishop said that we expect for us to operate like that in the church. Now, I want you to understand, I believe in checking out best practices. I believe if you want to figure something out, then go see who's already doing it and doing it at a high level and see what they do, how they do it. But you still got to be able to operate within the context God has placed you in, especially when it comes to the church. 
especially when it comes to the, to the ministry of God and the house of God, what is God speaking to this particular ministry? We, we can learn from best practices, but I don't believe in duplication. I don't believe in imitation. I believe in emulation, that we can emulate that, we can learn from that, but not trying to duplicate that. There are more than 400,000 churches in the United States of America. That's why when you hear people blasting, the church ain't this and the church ain't that. Well, you grew up in a church, then you went to college and went to a church, then you came back and went to another. You've been a part of three churches out of 400,000 and think now you've become an expert on what church is all about. So what, how does God want us to operate as a church, as a local body of believers, even when we look at best practices of the 400,000 churches that are out there, learning what to do and also learning what not to do. We have to look at what is the vision, the revealed knowledge that God has given for this particular church. Vision. Is, it, the Bible says where there is no vision, people perish. My people perish for the lack of knowledge. It's really saying the same thing. Vision is the revealed knowledge of God. So I hear people say, well, you know, the, the vision that Pastor Jeffrey Johnson has for the church is not my vision. It's God's vision revealed to this ministry. It's, it's the revealed knowledge of God for this house, which is the vision for this church. So it's not just looking around the nation, seeing what somebody else is doing, coming back doing it. It's what is the vision that God has for this house. So I want to rehearse that for just a second uh, in Matthew chapter 28 so we can see the vision that God has for Eastern Star Church. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So in this ministry... The vision that God has revealed to us is evangelism. Go baptize, go save souls, help people to have a right relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. We believe that happens when you believe Jesus died on the cross, God raised him from the dead. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men and women unto me. So a part of our vision is evangelism, is, is, is getting people saved. And then the other part of our vision, Jesus says, go and make disciples and that is to help people to become those disciplined ones disciples the followers the learners of the Lord and so for us the vision the mission is evangelism and discipleship and then we express that in a social way so when we are counseling families and when we are helping people to make it through crisis and when we're helping uh, when we're showing up in the prisons and the hospitals and helping to find affordable food options and helping with housing, all of that is our social expression that comes from when somebody gets saved and become a disciple, what does that look like? Well, it looks like blessing people in society. So that's the vision that God has given to this, this ministry. And that's, that's how we need to be operating. Uh, it was in December 2013 in Seattle, Washington, 16-year-old girl was sitting on the sofa in her house at night. Her mom was already in the bedroom sleep, and a drive-by shooting took place in Seattle. 
And so bullets began to spray in that community and into that house. The police said later that the little girl and nobody in the house had anything to do with this gang activity. They had the wrong house that they were shooting at. But the little girl got shot right between the eyes. And, but she survived it and thrived it, no major injuries, and she got shot right between the eyes. And I know you wonder how in the world could something like that happen. Well, when the bullet hit the siding of the house, it took something off of it. And then the drywall took something off the bullet. And then the girl was sitting on her sofa wearing eyeglasses. And the bullet hit her on the bridge of her eyeglasses. Her mother said it was a miracle of God. If she had been two inches to the left or to the right, it may have been different. And the mother says, a miracle of God. Here she was shot right between the eyes, survived and thrived hit the bridge of her glass. And here's why she survived and thrived. Because she was willing to correct her vision. Every year, more than 30,000 churches close. And I believe part of the reason they close is because they're not willing to correct their vision. If you and I are not careful, we watch TV and stream it and social media and listen to our family and friends and end up doing something God never called on us to do. But we're going to survive and we're going to thrive because we're going to make sure our, our vision is correct. It's going to line up with what God's word says. And we want to be the best church God wants us to be. And we're not saying the other 300, 400,000 churches in the United States have to do it just like us. But this is the vision and the mission that God has given to us. So what does that look like? with us being the best church we can be. I believe in the law of primary reference, the law of first mission. If you want to know how something is supposed to be, you go into the scripture, see the first time God did it, that's God's design for it. So the first time we see the church operating is in Acts chapter 2. So it's the first mention. It's the church at its birth. And I believe the church at its birth is the church at its best. And if we use the church at its birth, which is the church at its best, to be the model for our church ministry, then we can be the best church that God has designed for us to be in the 21st century. So what does that look like? Well, the church at birth, one thing that they had was high expectations of what Jesus had told them. So the Lord gave them a promise, and once God gave them that promise, they were willing to wait with high expectations on the fact that God is going to do everything he said he's going to do. Let me show you what I mean. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. This is Bible study, y'all. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Here it is but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then they went in Jerusalem into the upper room, and they waited on the promise of God, which in this case was the Holy Spirit that Jesus had already talked to them about, because Jesus was telling them that I got to go away. I got to go back to the Father. And they wanted Jesus to stay. His disciples said, no, Jesus, we want you to stay here. We still need you. And Jesus said, no, if I don't go away, then the paraclete will not come. Then the comforter will not come. Then the spirit will not come. 
So I'm going away so the Holy Spirit can come. So after he died on the cross, God raised him from the dead. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, now remember what I already told you about, the promise of the Father. And what I want you to do is to go back to Jerusalem and wait on what God promised you. And they had this high expectation of waiting on God to do what he said he's going to do. So if we're going to be the church at our best as a local body of believers, it's when you and I learn how to wait on God. Yeah, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Mounted with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. And the reason why some of us never get around to what God has designed for us, because we're not willing to wait on him. If God, y'all, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So if God made you a promise, you don't have to be up all night wondering if it's going to come to pass. If God promised you something, you don't have to pace your floor at night wondering if this is going to take place. And don't try to rush God either because there are no emergencies with God. God doesn't get in a hurry over stuff that bothers us. Remember that, that when the disciples were on that body of water and a storm hit and the disciples were trying to get the water out of the boat and all that and then they went to find Jesus and Jesus was in the back part of the, the boat sleep and, the, and in the gospels it said and he was sleep on a pillow which means he didn't fall asleep but in their storm he went and got a pillow and went to sleep because there are no emergencies with God and you and I when we hear the promise of God if we're going to model what the early church did is learn how to wait on God to do what God said he's going to do and I know why some of y'all not saying amen because you ain't learned how to wait on him. Talking about, well, you know, Pastor, I am trying to wait, but, you know, if God doesn't do something by April, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hand. <laughs> y'all, you can't put God on clocks and calendars. You got, got God on a clock by May 3rd. If he doesn't do something, I'm going to have to do. No, God is beyond time. God works in time. But he's beyond time. God holds time in his hand. And our grandparents used to say, you can't hurry, God. No, you just got to wait. You got to trust and give him time, no matter how long it takes. He's a God that you can't hurry, but you don't have to worry. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Pastor, I should say, Dr. James Jackson, who came out of this ministry at New Beginnings Fellowship Church, he used to tell this story about this, this older couple, and they had been married for a long time, and the wife got sick and went into a coma. And they were Christians, so they called for their pastor, and the pastor and the, the husband were touching and agreeing and believing that God is going to do something to bring the wife out of the coma and restore her health. And then after a certain amount of time passed, the husband just got so distraught, so disappointed, so depressed that he couldn't take it. He couldn't stand seeing his wife in a coma like that. And he ended up committing suicide. He took his own life. And James Jackson talks about one week after he had committed suicide, the wife came out of the coma. And when he told me that, the first thing that came to my mind was this. 
if that man could have waited seven more days on God, things would have been different. If he could have trusted God for one more week, and I don't know who this is for today, but God made you a promise, and there's some things you're going through, and you've already prayed, and you've already asked God to move. I dare you to trust him over time, because that's, that's what we're talking about here, waiting on God. Faith is the substance of things hope for it's the expectation that God is going to do what he said he's going to do and when we as a local body of believers understand that when God makes a promise he's going to do it and we trust God and wait and don't move until God says move that's when we're going to be a church at its best the church at its best is when when as the early church had this heart felt unification with the saints, this, this interconnection with the saints, with the union. It says in, in chapter 2 that they didn't just wait on the promise of God, but they all got together in the same house, in one place, on one accord, in unity, together, and in that in that union, in that unity, is why this is a church at its best because of the, the interconnection that they have. And if you and I are not careful, we'll think we can do Christianity by ourselves at home. We'll think we can have this disconnect from everybody else and somehow think I'm lining up with the will of God. No, there's a reason the Apostle Paul calls the church the body of Christ. At, uh, on Sundays, at least two of the locations, we're dealing with the, the metaphors in the Bible about the church. So you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. We're doing the metaphor. And one of the metaphors to help us understand church is the body, that we are many members but one body because it's talking to us about unity. It's talking to us about us being together. So Paul says, you don't see somebody have a body and the foot is going off on the hand and the hand is mad at the toes and the liver said this ain't right don't nobody see me and the eyes are the focal point and I don't think the eyes should always be out front no that, that don't happen because the body operates as a unit unity together and when the body of Christ we're different members we have different gifts different ability different skills but when we come together that's when we're at our best because it is that unity that brings credibility and believability you who's going to believe that we're the children of God and we can't get along with each other it's the unity that brings about credibility and believability because of the fact we're able to come together. A. Lewis Patterson used to talk about there are three kinds of members in the church. And every, he said in every church, there are three kinds of members. He said there are ones who are like parades, others that are like parasites, and then thank God there are some of us who are like partners. So you got some church members who act like they at a parade. They wait for the crowd to show up. And they like to display who they are, what they're about, and their gifts. And they do it all for show. They do it all to be seen. It's a parade. And when they finish, somebody got to come behind them and clean that mess up. And then there are others that are like parasites. And you know what a parasite, it connects to another organism. And, 
and begins to suck all the blood out of the other organism without putting anything in there. So it's a non-reciprocal relationship where the parasite is pulling everything it can out of the other organism and putting nothing else in there. And A. Lewis Patterson said, that's how some of us are as church members, that we come to be blessed, we come to get help, we come to be encouraged, we come to, for somebody to lift us up and encourage us and empower us, and then we do nothing. So we're sucking everything we can out of the ministry and putting nothing else back in it. We are, we are, I, sometimes I see Robbie or one of our music people leading the praise and worship, and they pouring into us, and we just sucking everything they got and putting nothing in it. We just stand there and sit. And sometimes when I'm preaching and I say, I wish I had somebody, I do. I wish I had somebody. You t- <laughs> I'm pouring everything into you and you ain't giving nothing back out of me. So, uh, so you got people think they're in a parade, you got parasites, and then thank God they're partners that understand church is a, a reciprocal relationship. I, when people, when our young people are going off to college or people moving to another community, another city and looking for a church, and my whole thing is go somewhere where you can be blessed and be a blessing. Don't just go somewhere where you're doing all the blessing because you're going to get burned out. And don't go somewhere where you, you, you're, you're the one being blessed, but you ain't putting nothing in there. It has to be reciprocal. It, it has to be mutual. And that's what, what they're talking about here in Acts chapter 2, that this unity is in the King James Version said that they came together and they were with one accord. Because it's possible to come together and not be together. Right? So some of us, we come together, but we really ain't together. And just making sure that if we're going to be the church at its best is understanding that interconnection. I was sharing my faith. Um, well, I was, I was, we were going to go to Haiti or some, going to go somewhere. I don't know what, where we were going for mission work. And, and, the, and the one that was needing to give me the shots to help me to understand what I need to do and all of that, I was sharing my faith. Have you accepted Jesus? Have you ever thought about being a Christian and church and all that? And, and she said, well, I'm already a Christian. And she says, uh, I like church. I just don't like the social part. I said, of church? The whole thing is social. You don't like anything about it. The whole thing is social. It's not just you getting your blessing and you getting what you need and you coming to take the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and then you're done. The whole thing is social that we come to edify and to build each other up. One could put 1,000 to flight, two could put 10,000 to flight. We do better when we work together. We are, Ephesians 4, united for the work of the ministry. I was, I was born in the 60s and in the 70s, one of my favorite cartoons came out called The Super Friends. And some of y'all too young remember Super Friends. They tried to change the branding and call them the Justice League. But the super friends with Batman and Robin and Aquaman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and all that, right? And they had these twins, Zan and Jaina, and these, these wonder twins, they were called. And they had a space monkey as a pet. Y'all don't remember the, the wonder twins? And the wonder twins were so unique that when, when they were individually walking around, that they were, they were normal. But when they would touch and agree, Wonder Twin powers activate. So when they would touch, 
that's when Zan would take on the form of anything like water, whether it's ice or a flood or a rainstorm. And, and Jaina would take on the form of any kind of animal, uh, whether it was a dinosaur or a bear, a lion, a giraffe or whatever. But they can only do that when they touch and agree. So their enemies, when they would attack the super friends, their enemies would do everything they could for the wonder twins to not come together. Because when they didn't come together, there was no transition. It was no change. Everything was normal. So they put one in one cage, another in another cage, one of them twins in one place, the other in another place. But man, when the wonder twins could get together, wonder twin powers activate. That's when drastic changes would come and they were able to get the victory. Here's what the enemy is doing in your life and mine, trying to keep us divided, trying to keep us separated, trying to keep us apart because even the enemy knows that when we're out here by ourselves, there's only so much we can do. But the Bible said if just two or three of us can get together and touch and agree, we're able to activate some stuff in the supernatural that never would have happened had we not come together. So we're at our best when there is unification, when there is, there is this interconnection that we have with each other. And we're at our best when we have this heavenly inspiration that comes from God's Holy Spirit. When you and I begin to operate in the Spirit of God, that's when, that's when the church is at its best. Unfortunately, so many of us, we try to get our inspiration from cars and clothes and condominiums and creature comforts and cash and all of that. And all of our, all of our inspiration comes from the earth. But in the text, it says, and suddenly, when they were on one accord, there was a sound not from earth. This was a sound from heaven the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And of course that wind represents the powerful presence of God's Holy Spirit. Y'all, I don't care how gifted you are, I don't care how well you can preach or teach or sing, I don't care what your skill is or your ability is, that when you're not filled with God's Holy Spirit, you are limited in what you can accomplish. That wind is a representation of God's Holy Spirit. And when you're empowered by the wind, now you're able to do things at a level you never would have been able to do it had you not been inspired by God's Holy Spirit. In, um, in, in the book of Genesis, when God went to make humanity, he stooped down, scooped up some dust, dust and shaped it and formed it, and then breathed into man. The, the Hebrew word is ruach. He breathed into man the Ruach, and man became a living soul. Well, Ruach can be translated air or breath or wind or spirit. So God shaped and formed man after his own image, but man didn't become a living soul until the Ruach got in him, until the wind of God got in him. The wind represents the spirit of God. You are not the woman you need to be and can be if you're not moved by God's ruach, by God's wind, by God's spirit. You're not the man you need to be or the husband or the father or the preacher or the teacher or the servant of God that you need. We're never at our best until the wind of God begins to move in our situation. 
I want to show y'all something. You don't have to turn there unless you can handle your Bible, then you can go there. And that's in, in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Jesus was dealing with Nicodemus, telling Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus was trying to figure all that out. And Jesus tell him in John 3 verse 8, the pneuma, that's the Greek word for wind, the, the pneuma blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of the pneuma, but you cannot tell where the pneuma comes from or where the pneuma is going. So is everyone born of the pneuma. Jesus is making a play on words. The word pneuma is translated either wind or spirit. So he says, you don't know where the wind is coming from. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where the wind is going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. It's the same word, pneuma, because the wind is a representation of God's Holy Spirit. And when you and I start operating according to the wind of God and the Spirit of God, I'm telling you, it makes a difference in ministry. There is no real ministry without moving by God's pneuma. You can't even be saved without the pneuma. You got to, y'all, it is the Spirit of God that convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And in the book of Romans, it says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you none of his. Forget being the church at its best. You're not even a Christian without the power of God's Holy Spirit in your life. And the good news is when you believe Jesus died on the cross, you believe God raised him from the dead at that very moment, the Holy Spirit. And I know that there are some who still believe you got to wait on the Holy Spirit. Yo, you don't have to wait on him. He's already here. He's been waiting on you for 30 years. Now you're talking about you waiting on him. You ain't waiting on him. He came in, in Acts chapter 2. He waiting on you. And when that Holy Spirit comes, that's when it makes a difference in your life and mine. And our church, if we're ever going to be at its best, it's when the power of God's Holy Spirit begins to move in your life and mine. And Jesus said that which of you that has a a son or a daughter and and they asked you for some bread or fish did you give them a rock you wouldn't do that you give them what they asked for and Jesus said that's how our heavenly father is you're his son you're his daughter and if you ask him to fill you with his holy spirit because when you got saved his holy spirit moved inside of you he's already in there but that don't mean you're filled with him to be filled means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. And as you yield to him, he can, but if you want to be filled and controlled and influenced by God's Holy Spirit, you want to be moved by the wind of God, just ask the Father and he will make that move in your life. When I'm, when I'm driving from Indianapolis to the northern part of Indiana, like uh, Maryville or Gary or Hammond, East Chicago area, right after you get past Lafayette, Indiana, there's a, some fields out there, and they're full of windmills. Y'all been down there? Windmills everywhere. And these windmills are designed to catch wind, convert it into energy, and then use it to bring power. That's how your TV is on, right? That's how your, your electricity, that's how your stove works and your oven works and your microwave works because these windmills are able to catch wind and then convert it into energy to accomplish what we need to accomplish. And the same way that happens in the physical is how the Holy Spirit moves in the spiritual. When you and I embrace God's Holy Spirit, he is able to give us the power that we need 
to be the disciple, the Christian, the mother, the father, the parent, the preacher, the teacher, whatever it is that you're called to do, he gives you the power to make that happen. And I noticed those windmills, and I don't know, it's dozens of them. It's hundreds, I don't know how many. It's a bunch of them. And none of them are, are standing next to a skyscraper. None of the windmills are standing next to a barn or leaning on a house because they, they, they place them in a position that they can take full advantage of the wind. And some of us are leaning on the club and leaning on drugs and leaning on, we lean on, wonder why I ain't filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you're not in a position to embrace the wind. But when you make yourself available, I know I got some witnesses now. When you make yourself available and open to what God wants you to do, that's when the power of God's Holy Spirit begins to move in your life and mine. And that inspiration that comes from on high. And he didn't just say the wind. He says then there was, King James Version, cloven tongues of fire. These are separate cloven, separate. And the fire was shaped like a tongue, like a human tongue. And it's 120 disciples. They're unified, coming together in this upper room. They're waiting on the promise of God. And that's when God, the, 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 from heaven, sound of a mighty rushing wind, and then divided flames of fire shaped like tongues. And here's what I want you to get out of this. It's set on each of them. All 120 of them had fire to sit. And fire represents... The Holy Spirit. Jesus, it was it. John the Baptist talking about Jesus said that, John the Baptist said, I baptize y'all with water, but there's one coming after me. He's greater than I ain't worthy to untie his shoes. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So fire represents the presence of God. Fire represents the Spirit of God. And when the Holy Spirit came as cloven different tongues of fire, it didn't just set on the 12 pastors. All 120 of them caught on fire. And when the church is at its best, it's not just when the pastor's on fire and the staff is on fire and the ministry leaders are on fire. It's when every disciple is open to the fire of God's Holy Spirit and all of us catch on fire. Do I have a witness in here? And when you talk about that fire, your fire serves a twofold purpose. Fire can destroy by burning, and fire can develop by burning. Like when precious metal is discovered, like gold or silver, when it, when you, whenever precious metal is discovered, a lot of times it's got dross on it, waste on it, impurities in it. And so what the, the refiner will do is take the gold with the dross, the waste on it, and the impurities in it, and stick it in the fire. And the refiner's fire is so hot that it begins to destroy the waste, destroy the dross, and destroy the impurities. And, but it doesn't destroy the gold. It refines the gold, so the gold comes out as pure gold. Y'all, when the power of God's Holy Spirit shows up in your life and mine, it's got a twofold purpose. The Holy Ghost fire can destroy and develop. It can destroy and refine. Because if you and I be honest, we've given our life to Jesus Christ, but we still got some waste on us and some impurities in us. But when the Holy Ghost fire gets a hold of us, 
It burns off the waste and burns out the impurities, but it doesn't destroy us. It refines us, and we come out as pure gold. Because right now, the Holy Ghost is seeking to burn the hell out of somebody today. And he's working on you so that you're on fire with the Holy Ghost. I got to close. Here's the last thing. When the church is at its best, it's not us just watching TV and streaming and copying what the church down the street is doing. It's understanding what is the vision and the mission that, the Holy, that God has revealed to us in this ministry and then making sure that we have enough sense to wait on God, trusting that God is going to do everything he said he's going to do. And then for us to unite. And the way we unite, y'all, we, got, we can't just wait on you to have an opinion and for me to tell you what I think. We ain't going to never come together like that. But when we all line our lives up with what God's word says for a believer and for a Christian, for a child of God and for the church, when we operate in the same playbook, that gives us the possibility of coming together. And when we all operating under the same Holy Spirit, that gives us a chance to come together. And out of that unity, and when we position ourselves so that the wind of God is able to move, that spirit moves us. And each of us, you can't just wait on me to catch on fire to bless you. You need to come with your own fire. When, uh, what was that? With Abraham, when he took his son Isaac up into the mountain to worship, and, um, and, and, and then he said, I see, the, I see the wood, and I see the fire, but I don't see the sacrifice. Well, God's going to provide, and there was a ram in the bush. But even as a teenager, um, Abraham's son Isaac realized that if you're going to have worship, you got to bring your own fire. I see the wood. Y'all ain't helping me. <laughs> I see the fire. You bring your own fire. Stop waiting on somebody else to get you fired up. Grandma and them said, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed, walking and talking with my mind stayed on. You can't wait till you get to church to get your fire on. The Holy Ghost ought to be moving it. And here's the last one, and I'm done. And that is, if we're going to be the church at its best, is when we have honest communication with society. We're already coming together with the saints. We're already moved by the Spirit. We already got the promise from our Savior. But we have to have an honest communication with society, with the world. We can't just witness to each other, share our faith with each other. Y'all, the early church... When they got filled with the Spirit, they all began to speak in other tongues, King James Version, as the Spirit gave utterance, right? And, and by now we know tongues is, is the word we use in the 21st century, languages. They began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to do that. So in Acts chapter 2, this is a spiritual gift that these people were not trained. They didn't, they didn't go to learn how to speak these different languages. The Holy Spirit empowered them, and they began to, to communicate with people who had come for the Pentecost, for the, the, the holiday, the, the Hebrew holiday, to come celebrate God giving his word to the children of Israel. They came to celebrate that, and then these people got filled with the Spirit and started speaking to them in, the, in their own native tongue. They're like, how can this thing happen like this? This is a different gift from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, when the Bible talks about the different gifts of the Spirit, and, and one of those gifts is speaking in tongues, this ecstatic expression 
that cannot be expressed in words, right? So the Holy Spirit moves a person who has the gift of tongues, and they begin to have this expression, this, and, and as they're expressing it, it's not in words that we can understand. That's why when you do it in a public setting, there needs to be somebody with the gift of interpretation of tongues. That's a legitimate spiritual gift that when you have that gift, you need to operate. Everybody needs to operate in the gift God gave you. But in Acts 2, this is a different gift. Okay, y'all ain't saying amen. Let me read it to you. Go to verse 5. Because in, in verse 4, they spoke in different languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these all who speak? Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, and then all those folk talking about black people didn't meet uh, Jesus and the Judeo-Christian tradition to the 17th century in slavery in America. That's a myth. It's a lie because here we go right here. You, you see Libya, that's Africa. Egypt, that's Africa. Serene, that's Africa. That's the first century, not the 17th century. And so here they are, filled with God's Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in different languages so that people could hear the truth of the gospel in their own language. And as they heard the truth of the gospel in their own language, 3,000 people accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Because the church at its birth is the church at its best. And they learn how to communicate to people in their language. And the reason why so many in the 21st century, the 21st century churches, we can't win people to the kingdom of God is because we're not willing to speak in their language. We're always speaking in church language. Soteriology, eschatology, angelology. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. How you doing? Oh, I'm better than blessed. Y'all, the world don't talk like that. That's cool in here, but when you go out there, you got to speak in their language. And here's, and I'm trying to shut this down, but here's what, I wish I had thought this up, but I didn't. But thank God for the body of Christ that we can benefit from each other's insight. One preacher said that's why we haven't been able to win millennials to the kingdom, or very few, because we don't speak their language. First thing we do when we see a millennial with a cell phone or iPad or a smart device in church is tell them to put it away. That's how they communicate. Instead of telling them to put it away, won't you pull one out? <laughs> I told pastors, I, you know, I teach pastors around the nation God's opened the doors for me to be able to pour it into, the, at least to show them a practice. I don't know if we got best practice, but a practice on how to do ministry. And I'm saying, man, the average church in America has 75 people on Sunday morning. 75. And you're in church, you got 75 people. Ten of those are under 30. So they in church, and they got you with their phone doing Facebook Live or whatever the latest one is, right? And they got 200 followers. You got 75. <laughs> they just invited 200 more people into your worship service to hear you preach the gospel, and then you told them, put that away. No. 
Thank God you got somebody in your church that can speak that language. And just being filled with God's Holy Spirit, trying to communicate with people at the level that they're able to get. I'm going to close like this because I told you all about the Wonder Twins and they would touch and agree. But even though they would touch and agree, nothing happened until they spoke it. Wonder Twin power activate in the form of. And y'all, we got to learn the power of the spoken tongue. That God has placed power in our words. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And then God spoke, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be, and there was. And out of that chaos, here comes order because God spoke it. And then God made us after his own image. And just like God has power in his word, God has put power in your word and in my... Y'all ain't saying amen. Well, well, you know, pastor, that's God, that ain't us. No, no, no. God told, uh, uh, he told, he told Adam, he said, now I want you to work. I want you to work with your muscle, form this land. But I also want you to work with your mind. Name these animals. And the text says in Genesis, whatever Adam called them is what they became because there's power in the spoken tongue. So before he, y'all, they were whatever they were until he named it, till he spoke it. And when he began to speak it, they became what he spoke it. Y'all not getting this. If you call your children dumb, they become dumb. Call your children ignorant, they become ignorant. Call them stupid, they become stupid. Call them evil, they become evil. But if you call them Christian, they become Christian. If you call them smart, they become smart. Call them intelligent, they become intelligent. Call them prosperous, they become... There's power in the spoken tongue. And you got to learn how to speak those things that are not as though they are. Speak your healing. Speak your joy. Speak your power. Speak your prosperity. Do I have a witness in here? There's power in the spoken tongue. Wonder twin power. Activate. Come on, stand with me. Stand with me. Matter of fact, let's do it like this. Our ushers are getting in place. And uh, go ahead and get the baskets together. Let, we're going we're gonna to do it like this. Get those baskets together. I'm going to give people in just a second a chance to have to get back to work, to go on back to work. And those that have about three or four more minutes, we're going to come to the altar. So if you've got to go back to work, I, I pray that this word that has been spoken today enters into your heart and that you connect with us with trusting God over time. We're uniting for the work of the ministry moving by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And when you get back to work, speak the truth. Witness about Jesus. Tell him about God. And watch us become the church at its best.